Chapter Fifteen of the King's Daughter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The King's Daughter by Pansy. Chapter Fifteen. The Review. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Dinner again in the dainty Boston dining room, so fair and pure in all its details that the very sight of it all rested and soothed Dell's beauty-starved heart. After dinner, they went to the back parlor where they used to linger together on summer evenings. And Dell, mindful of how many times she had longed for that seat, went straight to that low ottoman, wheeled it in front of Aunt Laura's chair, and snugged herself into it. And Aunt Laura's left hand finely smoothed the soft bands of brown hair, just as she knew it would, just as she had imagined the touch endless times during the long days of that past year. Baby Laura, meantime, trotted with pretty restlessness from one object of interest to another, stopping to bestow shy, wondering glances on the forgotten cousin's face. Uncle Edward had brought pen and paper, and occupied a table in the west window. When his wife frowned on the business implements, he said, Just a very little writing, my dear. I have brought it here because I can imagine myself visiting with you. We must make the most of Dell. It is only a week, you know. I shall be through very soon, and meantime you may talk or play as the mood takes you. It will not disturb me in the least. So they talked, one of their long, sweet talks in the quiet twilight. By and by the twilight deepened. Aunt Laura and baby Laura went away together, and Dell turned for company to the piano, her dear piano, for which her fingers had fairly ached during the year of separation. She touched the keys with a sort of tremulous eagerness, and soft, sweet, plaintive sounds filled the room sounds that made the writer over by the table pause and raise his head to listen. Presently he hurried the last line to its close, shut his inkstand with a click, and, rising, wheeled a large chair toward the piano. Now, dear child, the music is glorious, but tongues are aching to be used. Begin at the beginning and tell me about the year. Dell wheeled around on the piano stool and, leaning forward, rested her hand on his arm as she said, Oh, uncle, the beginning? What a long story it will be! And yet, after all, there is just the least little bit to tell. It has been a long year, and I have tried to do a great many things, and I have done none of them. That, after all, is the whole story in a nutshell. But I don't want it in a nutshell. I want the whole story spread out, detailed. Unless you have greatly changed, you know how to do it. Has Lewiston changed much? I haven't seen it in eight years, you know. Uncle, it has changed backward. It is the meanest, dullest, stupidest place I ever heard of. There is no paint on the buildings, and no posts to the fences. They have rotted and tumbled over. And the church, oh dear me, I can't detail that to you. Why, your carriage house would make a delightful house compared with it. And there is a rum hole at every corner. Oh, worse than that, some between corners. I never saw such a place. Yet the people are not poor? Poor? No, indeed. There is wealth enough in the place to revolutionize it. But I don't know what is the matter with the people. They have no enthusiasm for anything but their stores and factories and saloons. Uncle Edward, what do you suppose God thinks of such Christians as there are in Lewiston? Uncle Edward looked up suddenly, smiled a kind, brave smile, laid a tender hand over the little one resting on his arm, and said, He has told you and me what to think about them. We must remember, judge not that ye not be judged and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. What of the dear father, Dell? Uncle, there is nothing to say. That awful tavern is still there, and father is selling rum as usual, and drinking it. 
the last two words with lowered voice and burning cheeks. And what is our darling doing for him just now? There is nothing for me to do, she answered him sadly. At least if there is, I cannot find it. I have tried everything that I can think of, and failed in all. Then you are not praying for him any more? Oh, Uncle Edward, with a quick startled look, you know I did not mean that. I am praying for him constantly with all my heart, but that is all. Well, what about the class? Are you encouraged? Why, they come regularly, and they seem to like me, but as to any change in them I see none. No, I can't say that I am encouraged. I am very heavy-hearted. What good for them to spend an hour a week in Sabbath school if it doesn't influence their lives a particle? Uncle Edward waved the question. Is Mr. Tresevant any help to you? Dell's eyes flashed. No, sir, he isn't. He is a drawback. I have written you about Mr. Elliot? Well, I believe he could be gotten into our society, but for Mr. Tresevant's influence. He actually uses it against us. Uncle, do you see how a good man in these days can work against the temperance cause? No, my dear, I don't. Yet I trust the Lord sees how they can work against some phases of the temperance cause, and yet be, not good men perhaps, but Christian men. Understand me, dear child, I am not in sympathy with this man, who is now your pastor. I believe him to be mistaken. If he is, the Lord will some day set him right. But, in the meantime, you and I must remember that he is your pastor, and speak and think of him accordingly. Dell laughed a little. Uncle Edward, she said playfully, don't you think it would be well for me to stop detailing? Don't you see that I have grown uncharitable? Let me ask one more question first. What of Mr. Nelson? He is the same mystery that he was at first, working faithfully and apparently conscientiously, but without conscientious motives. Indeed, uncle, we are all just what we were a year ago. Is that possible? her uncle asked quickly, with an earnest searching look. My dear daughter, I have asked many questions about others. Will you answer one very carefully concerning yourself? You and I think that to stand still for a year is impossible. Have you, darling, gone onward? Do you find your faith stronger, your trust firmer, your heart and life more entirely hid with Christ in God? Dell's head went suddenly down on the arm against which she leaned, and her bright eyes filled with tears. He waited quietly, and presently she raised her head again and spoke earnestly. Uncle Edward, I don't know. Sometimes it seems to me that I have gone backward. I have tried to work for Christ. I know I have that end in view, but in every single thing I seem to have failed. I have done nothing. It seems to me almost a wasted year, and there are times when I want to run away from it all and hide with you and Aunt Laura, and there are times that I am utterly impatient and rebellious and think that I have done all I can, and it is time there was some fruit. So a great deal of the time I am not happy, and yet I don't quite know what is wrong. While she was speaking, Aunt Laura returned and took the low seat which her husband drew forward in front of him and beside Dell. Then he answered the young girl's wistful look with a kindly smile as he said, Do you want me to pick your work to pieces, dear child, as I used to do when you were indeed a child, and criticize it? Indeed, Uncle Edward, I want your help. I have wanted it more than I can tell you. Then, my dear, I think I shall have to tell you that I think the main trouble with you has been a too vivid realization of the person called I. I do not mean by that that you are troubled with egotism, I do not consider that one of your faults, nor do I mean that you have too strong a sense of personal responsibility, but that your temptation is to forget that you are a worker with God. It is a temptation common to us all, 
You grow discouraged. You think your efforts have been failures. Now, there are two or three questions that you should carefully ask yourself. First, am I really engaged in a work in which I believe the Lord himself is interested? If so, is he discouraged, or has his working with me been a failure? That puts the failure in a very startling form, you see. Our own shortcomings we have reason to lament, not sitting down with folded arms using up precious time while we mourn, but with the only true sorrow, that which says, God helping me, I will not make that mistake again, or leave that duty undone to-morrow, and then, giving a firmer buckling to the armor, starts out afresh, but to lament over the non-accomplishment of a work, our part of which we have honestly and earnestly tried to do, is, in my opinion, forgetting the fact that when our part is done, it is God himself who is to do the rest. You may depend upon it, dear child, that the Lord wants that dear father of yours, and Sam Miller, and Mr. Nelson, and all your class, to be numbered among his jewels, quite as much as you possibly can. And he has ways and means with which to bring about his ends that you and I dream not of. You must drop that overtasked, much-cumbered I out of your thoughts, and learn to say we. Think much about the co-partnership. Tell it over often to yourself, reverently indeed, but yet triumphantly, God and I. But, uncle, ought I not to feel a deep interest in, and, yes, in one sense anxiety, about these souls unsaved, in danger? If you ask me whether you, if you be deeply interested in your work, will not be likely to feel more or less anxiety, despite every effort to quiet it, I answer yes. Being a young, impetuous Christian, you will doubtless have much of this feeling to struggle with, but that it should be struggled with until we reach that more blessed resting place where we can say, it is the Lord, let him do what seemeth him good, I assuredly believe. Don't you know the direction, and having done all to stand, and yet another, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart, wait, I say, on the Lord. We have many directions about that sort of waiting, Dell, and your eager heart needs to learn the lesson carefully. A little silence fell between them. Dell's hand sought Aunt Laura's, and was firmly and lovingly clasped. Finally she looked up with bright grave eyes and said earnestly, Thank you, Uncle Edward. You have given me the help I needed. I think if you follow my advice you will find yourself rested. There is no more solemn prayer, and I think none more needed, for us who are called by his name, than that which our elder brother left among his latest for us, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Then a sudden change of subject. Have you really decided, Dell, that you must not accompany us to the seaside, for a little rest, you know? We have counted on it very much. Dell answered him with her old, bright smile and very earnest eyes, as she quoted with peculiar emphasis, and having done all to stand. There is work for me to do, uncle. And her uncle laid his hand on her head and answered solemnly, The Lord, before whom I walk, will send his angel with thee and prosper thy way. There were days that followed like flashes of sunlight, the beauty and joy and rest of which Dell never forgot. So unlike they were to the dull, shivery, rainy one on which she rubbed the car window with her handkerchief to catch one glimpse of the retreating form of her Uncle Edward as he drew his cloak about him and bent his umbrella forward to shield himself from the sleet, that she half wondered if the time that had seemed such a tiny week to her had not after all been months and whirled her right into the middle of November dreariness. But it wasn't. It was only one of those delightful August foretastes of what November can do. Dell struggled bravely with her homesick, desolate heart. 
she tried not to think of the difference between Lewiston and Boston, as the train shrieked into, or rather by the side of, the Lewiston depot, and she clambered out alone, and bargained for a seat in the mail-wagon, and thanked a stranger for a piece of his umbrella. When she landed in the hall at home, which despite all her rearrangements looked dingy enough, she resolutely put from her the thought of that other long, wide, beautiful hall, giving glimpses through half-open doors of fair rooms on either side, and to her father's greeting, "'Well, and so you are here?' she answered cheerily, "'Yes, I'm here,' and then she went straight over to him and bestowed a hearty kiss on the rough red face. As she went up to her own room, she had need again to shut out comparisons and cheer herself with something. So she said, aloud and firmly, "'Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord.' There had already ripened some fruit from that Boston visit, if Dell had but known it. Jim Forbes, walking down to the factory with his friend and boon companion, Cooley, gave a detailed account of his Boston experience, and finished it on this wise. Him and her both couldn't have treated me no better if I'd been a prince, and I'll tell you what my mind is made up to, Cooley. I'm going to sign that there pledge the very next meeting they have, blamed if I don't. And he did. End of chapter 15. Recording by Tricia G.